Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Stathis Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series. This series focuses on industry-leading performance, success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts, Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel. Hello, I am Scott Stathis, and welcome to this episode of Industry Leadership and Success called Leveraging Financial Planning to Attract and Retain Assets. In this episode, we will discuss aligning the proper dynamics in order for financial planning to have a significant impact on the quality of client relationships and the resulting business growth. We will address user adoption, client engagement, plan delivery, and related best practices. So with that, let me pass it to my partner, Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself and then have our guests introduce themselves. Bob? Well, thanks so much, Scott. I am Bob Mattel. I am the uh, co-host of today's podcast, Leverage Financial Planning to Attract and Retain Assets. Today's podcast is sponsored by Midwood Financial Services. Founded in 2000, Midwood Financial Services is the nation's largest independently owned distributor of financial products, annuities, and other services to more than 250 banks in the United States. The company's strength comes from its focus to continuously match its clients with the best product solutions, including annuities and distribution strategies available in the financial industry. So let's start out and meet our panel. And let me start out with Angie. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. This is Angie Chung. I work with Bank of the West since last year, beginning of last year. And what the major thing, uh, the main idea um, I work here was is actually helping clients with their financial planning, with their estate planning and manage their risk. Also, as long as insurance products, sometimes when it's tied to their needs. So um, I'm a PCA here, which is private client services, private client advisor. And here is my team, Rob. Thanks, Angie. Well, uh, my name is Rob Giewicki. And uh, like Angie, I'm a private client advisor uh, with Bank of the West Private Client Services. To really give a, a picture of my role, it's really my job to get to know, you know, the clients, get a really good feel for, you know, how do we best help them, you know, as, a, as an institution. And then what I do is I've got a full team of subject matter experts that I'll bring in where we can go ahead and fine tune those, those solutions properly. Uh, David, you wanna take over? Yes, thank you, Rob. And I'm delighted to be with you all today. I also work with Angie and Rob with Bank of the West Wealth Management Group. I'm the team leader and producing private client advisor as well. And I'm just uh, thrilled to be part of this training program. Over to you, Chris. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for joining us. My name is Christopher Malley. I'm one of the regional training directors for Midwood Financial. I've been in the industry for 31 years, so uh, a lot of experience as an independent broker, as well as in the bank channel as an advisor, and been with Midwood for about five years now. Great. I'll wrap us up here with the introductions. Jen Shields, the National Training Director with Midwood Financial. I oversee the, the training side of the house for Midwood, and my ultimate goal is to partner with our clients to uncover gaps and how we can support training at all levels. Um, referral training, it could be financial planning training, product training, really looking at our clients and really figuring out where gaps exist and we can help support their needs to meet their objectives and their goals. So I'll throw it back to Bob to get us started. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much. So today we're going to explore how Bank of the West is leveraging their unique partnership with their investment product distribution partner. So Jen, increasing amount of financial planning being done on our channel has been a cornerstone of the transition from being transactional to being no, more needs-based and relationship-oriented. Why do you think financial planning continues to be a top training request from your clients? I think when I look at the industry as a whole, I, I really see four key factors, one being regulations. Um, just think about how regulations have changed over the years, and I definitely see that that's influenced clients to really look at financial planning and put more robust goals around financial planning to meet some of those regulations. So I, I definitely think regulations has, be, has been a key contributor. The second one I would say is technology as a whole. 
it really has evolved over the years. And when we look at that software that our clients are purchasing, I think one of the questions I keep getting asked is, how can we improve the quality of financial plans that they're seeing? Um, and I believe that stems from the return on investment, the ROI that they're looking for, right? Because if we can improve the quality of plans, I think we increase the opportunities across all lines of business. And with that being said, that really helps that ROI or their bottom line number. And studies have shown that clients with a financial plan hold 60% more advisory assets than clients without a plan. And to me, right there, that's one of the key reasons I think it continues to be a hot topic as far as around training. The third one I would say is competition in general. Um, competition is, is out there and a lot of our competitors are offering financial plans. So I think just to stay current, our clients have to offer financial planning, but really to, to stand out from the competitors, it's really the quality of plans that are out there. Again, going back to that quality, how can we improve the quality of plans and the opportunities that we're uncovering, I think continues to be, again, that hot topic. And last, but in my opinion, definitely not least, it's our clients. How can we help our clients, right, achieve their goals? And I think with that in mind, when we think about clients' expectations or concerns that they're going through right now, I think about the market in general, the volatility that's going on, you know, inflation, recession. Will it be a hard landing? Will it be a soft landing? I think those are all questions and fears that our clients have in the back of their mind. And they're saying, okay, how is that going to impact me? Like what, you know, how does that impact me? And I think they're coming in more than they have in the past asking for a financial plan to say, hey, is inflation going to impact my ability to retire, to send my kids to school? You know, the market volatility, what should I be doing? And I think overall, I think our clients are really, how can we better support our clients? And in turn, those four things really lead them to continue to keep financial planning top of our list as far as on the training side goes. You know, one of the first things you said was regulation. So I'm assuming Reg BI was where you really speak <laughs> of training really um, capture everyone's attention. Am I correct with that? Absolutely. I mean, we gotta we gotta be able to describe how is this in the client's best interest. How better to do that than look at the holistic picture of the client to say, hey, here's the entire client picture. Here's why we offered this recommendation. Whether it's insurance, annuities, it doesn't matter. But we have the why behind the recommendation. Yeah, and then just one more quick follow-up too on technology. It's been technology has been on fast forward since the pandemic. I mean, in March of 2020, all of a sudden everyone adopted using DocuSign and Zoom and WebEx and all these things that and it's some kind of Teams and Google product I don't even know the name of anymore. But it seems that technology has really been on fire as well. Absolutely. And if you even look at the number of competitors that are out there in the market, that continues to grow. And I'm just amazed at the integration now with the financial planning software. No matter what you're looking at, there's more and more integrations happening every day, which basically gives that client that one-stop shop that they can house all of their information in. So again, I think it's going to be even more exciting to see how financial planning software, what it looks like two years from now. Um, so a lot going on. Well, you know, my partner over here, Scott Stathis, was a financial planning guru well before we started our partnership and doing a lot of stuff. So let me toss the baton over to him. Yeah, it's interesting. So I ran a financial planning software company, and I've had a lot of experience in trying to get user adoption of financial planning software in the bank and credit union channel. And it was not easy back in the day. It's becoming uh, more accepted now. But, I mean, there's, there's been an interesting evolution, right? I mean, we started as transactional advisors, right? If you look at the history of the bank channel and the evolution is now t more towards relationship. But, you know, transactions are a commodity. You don't need a human in the middle of transactions, right? Planning less so, but, you know, ironically, planning is now becoming commoditized because you can do your own plan online pretty easily if you want to. I believe that that the secret to successfully using financial planning is how you wrap it into the rest of what you're doing for the client in a way that it, that engenders trust and provides the client with the peace of mind I'll I'll say that 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 uh, enables them to be comfortable giving you the majority of their assets to manage right 
but planning is the, the the central piece of that and then everything else you do is the icing on the cake that gives you differentiation right so let's start with adoption because adoption has been a challenge is a bit less so now but you tell me did you always from day one use planning in your practices i know you've evolved to higher end advisors now but that's not the way you started right what were the triggers that made you really start realizing how valuable financial planning can be in your practice? Angie, maybe you want to kick us off and then we'll pass it around the horn. Sure. I think planning is very, very important to every one of us individual, especially nowadays, because we don't know whether or not the world is how the world is going to change. And it's actually give us a overview of current financial, like the client's current financial today, nowadays, and predicting or expecting their future retirement picture. So by having a financial planning with my clients, it allows me to deepen a more relationship, stronger communication, and find out more what, what is their needs, what is the wants and wishes in their retirement, and it's, it's, you know, by setting a goal based on your conversation, it's not a product sales anymore. It's more like, hey, what is the goal? Let's work on your goals, right? So based on the conversation, I were able to um, identify their lifestyle and we set some goals together and measure how, what is the success rate of their uh, achieving the goals? So this is the ongoing relationship and it's amazing how, uh, Money Guy Pro nowadays help me and my clients get this connection together. So it's, I think it's really important. Just so our listeners know, you are all on the same team, correct? Right. And so you're all leveraging financial planning together. So um, what will be interesting for us is to hear your diverse views on financial planning and then how you're using it together as a, as a team to deliver it to your clients. So so Rob, give us an idea of your evolution in the use of financial planning. Okay, thanks, Scott. And you know, in my own case, and actually, you know, my first job in finance was actually on the institutional side, you know, of the business as a whole. And um, after a number of years of that, you know, I came over into you know the client-facing role. And one thing, and at that period of time, you know, we're going back, you know, eighteen years now, eighteen years ago now, from that point. You know, one thing that that was really, really obvious was that for a number of years, you know, you had, say, stockbrokers at the time, and you had insurance agents, and you had planners, and you know, these guys were all separate people. It just seemed to make sense that it's like, well, why can't you do all that in house? You know, why why can't you you know deal deal with all of these? And when I did come over the client facing side. You know, we've always been planning based. You know, we've we've never been transactional. You know, we would take a transaction provided that's you know the correct thing to do for a client. But you know, the reality is is you know by utilizing the plan and really pointing out where there's you know inefficiencies with how people save and you know if they're not protecting themselves you know against any kind of you know adverse events coming down the line or, or a potential adverse event. You know, you're really doing the client a disservice and. You know, at the same time, you're also not taking full advantage of a potential revenue stream. Interesting that you've never not used financial planning because that is atypical when you look at advisors that we normally work with in the in the bank and credit union space. So so good for you. So let me let me pass it to you, David, for your thoughts on adoption of financial planning and the benefits of it. We started as a firm with Money Guide Pro about five years ago. And to be honest, in the beginning, most advisors did not engage in financial planning. Uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of training and learning. Midwind was with us all the way. And many advisors just didn't have the comfort level of engaging clients on the benefits of financial planning, and they weren't subject matter experts. However, over time, MoneyGuide Pro became a centerpiece of the engagement process. One of the factors is it's a good practice to have a fictional or sample report with you when engaging with a client on financial planning so you can show them the output right in front of them. Actually, here's a, a phony, a phony um, financial plan and show with them the pieces of it. Uh, in addition, I got to say that the available resources that are available at all times is a huge plus. Occasionally, I will contact our trainers at Midwood if I have a training question. We also have the live support that Money Guide Pro offers. 
at some big comfort level to know that they're always available. In our firm, we also have our internal compliance department that most advisory firms do have. They do participate in the financial planning process and in many insurance and investment solutions they require to see the actual financial plan that the advisor produces. So it builds a little honesty and integrity into the program when producing the plan. Do you all, and I'll just throw this out there as a follow-up, do, do you all feel that the, what I'll call the evolution to a more fiduciary-based practice has essentially mandated financial planning? And I use that word, maybe not literally, but you, you know what I'm getting at, right? I, I mean, is that, because I get the feeling that that you guys really are you see yourselves as a fiduciary practice and, and planning has to be an incorporated part of that, correct? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that one. You know, er, I mean, ever since I've been with Bank of the West and you know, like David had mentioned about five years ago, they really, you want to become more of a planning based you know, outfit. And that was right about the time where, where I was coming in as well. And, you know, one thing that, you know, we do, and and you're raising a good point where, you know, whereas the industry is really working more towards a fiduciary level of it. And, you know, we're not really moving so much in that same direction because we've been there for a long time. I mean, you know, we, we already, we do have in-house trust departments. We do have a lot of resources that a lot of our competitors don't, do not have. And, you know, over time, it just seems that, you know, the industry, yes, it is working in that direction, but I think they're working Kind of closer to where we've been for you know god knows how long yeah no it, it sounds that way and good for you guys for leading the way all right bob let me pass it back to you another part of uh, the whole financial planning process is engagement now obviously we all believe here on this podcast about financial planning we're all bought in on that but how do you get clients engaged you know are there steps that you use to engage what are there different discovery questions so angie how do you get customers to say, yes, I want to have this conversation about financial planning? Well, um, I have to share with you guys uh, about my approach. So I don't normally ask clients, oh, I'm going to do a financial plan for you. Are you okay with that? So my approach is normally like, hey, you know what? I want to learn about your story. What is something important to you? What is some your some of your concern? And what is something so successful, you're so proud of what you have done in your life? From that, they're more opening up to talk about themselves. And I would just be there and listen. And, you know, in the middle of the conversation or at some point, I would tell them, hey, here is what I do. And we actually put together of your story to in the plan and approach together. And, you know, like it's come with approach process for me. And we also set another appointment right after the first meeting and I will show them Money Guy Pro process and maybe sometime I will play together on their digital um, to see how what is the successful rate from what they share with me and what will be the outcome in the future. It sounds like you've got a process that is very repeatable by virtue of it being repeatable, it can probably just continue with each and every customer. So your process is repeatable and you had that success with many customers, it sounds like. I agree with you totally, because um, the more I, I, I want to approach them by sharing their story, by learning their story, they're more open up to, to talk about themselves, their kids, their most important person, their loved one. So by that approach, they are, it actually gives them an idea and thinking thought process what is so important and when it comes to financial planning they don't they don't they don't feel like hey i'm selling you something you know i'm i'm here to sell so so they're more open by by my approach like that and it's going to be ongoing it's always an appointment for more engagement in the future for revisit and that's the key to be moving from transactional to needs based absolutely Robert, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, actually, you know, I'll I'll build a little bit about on, you know, how Angie handled it because you know my own process is not dissimilar, you know, in a lot of ways. You know, I sit down with a, with a prospect initially, you know, it's just a really kind of open conversation. Just you know, tell me about, tell me all about you, tell me about your family, tell me about all these little things you have going on. You know, what we want to do is really connect with these. You know, you want to connect with a prospect, you know, on a human level first. You know, the actual finance part of it is actually the easy part. 
of the whole thing. But I think really to get to know the, know the person, get an understanding of where their pain points are, get an understanding of what is important to them, you know, what kind of things have they thought about, well, what haven't they thought about, you know, and then you can actually, you can start directing the conversation towards deepening that conversation in certain ways, and then really coming up with a, a much more intelligent game plan to help help get them where they want to go. Yeah, I'm sure that adds a lot of credibility to the whole process as well. David, uh, you have some thoughts on this? Yes, I do. Um, whether it's an existing client or a prospect, it's never too soon to start. So I have a notepad in front of me, and I'm thinking whenever I start talking with a client, what do you owe, what do you own, and your income? And I say that because those are the key parts for the data input into the financial plan. We know that the best plans include all financial information. And when engaging clients in financial planning, I will tell them it's best if they can bring in their financial statements, their, their brokerage statements, their insurance statements, their banking statements, so I can in input actual data rather than estimates. If I have a client that is an existing client and I've never done a financial plan before, I will suggest to, you know, in a later meeting that we come back and we offer the plan. So for a new client or on an introductory meeting, I make an assumption. I tell them we, we incorporate financial planning into the process. For an existing client, I'll, I'll say I'm coming back to this, which we never had the opportunity to give you that advantage. And now I'd like to offer it to you. Let me bring Chris into the conversation. Have you, um, you know, join in and talk about the adoption and the engagement with clients. Um, I'm sure you're being on the front lines, helping educate a lot of uh, financial advisors on this whole process. You can share a lot. Sure. Thanks, Robert. And and David mentioned it earlier today that the the idea that we've been working with Bank of the West for a number of years, and it's a process. It's a, it's, we've grown in the process of planning and working with advisors to engage them in the planning process. The adoption side of it, it's all about really engaging those customers, uh, what their expectations are, what their goals are, what they want to accomplish, um, and how do we incorporate planning into that conversation with those, those clients. Now, we can, in our training classes, we completely acknowledge that not every single client is a planning client, uh, but the value of introducing some type of component of planning, whether it's a, a calculator or some type of tool like that to, to help them just with one goal, if it's if it's college funding or if it's specific to retirement, um, using those tools to really support your recommendations. And eventually, as a client grows with your relationship, those existing goals, there's going to be new objectives, there's going to be new opportunities that often present themselves to where you can do a full plan at some point later on as well. So um, it's really critical when you're when you're engaging those customers to have that full kind of holistic approach to engaging those customers and really planning is the is. You know, it's my background and that's that's my passion. So when we look at helping customers, I think it's from a planning standpoint, I think it's vitally important. My question for the group, and I think Angie brought it up early, we talked about maybe multiple appointments. I guess talk a little bit about, you know, when you're engaging that client, how many appointments are, are you setting up multiple appointments to cover multiple topics to finish the plan? Just talk a little bit about, you know, how you structure your process with your clients. Um, when my structure with my clients, the first meeting is always all about them. Like they can talk out anything they want. And the second appointment, it's always been like, okay, so this is from what I got from you from the first meeting. And this is what I found from what you told me. Every time when we meet, mostly it's going to be like three to four appointment. My normal appointment will go from three to four. And the third appointment is pretty much set already. Like, okay, so this is the solution that we provide you based on what you share. And um, this is what we can actually show you. This is the evidence, you know, the confirmations from your my recommendation to you. So by delivering that pieces of uh, financial plan to client in my third meeting, it's actually um, having a higher closing ratio because not only what I said, what I what I tell them to do, what I recommended, what what is my recommendations to them. 
it's more like, hey, this is a confirmation from the system after running a thousand trials. So I to me, it's more like three to four, I would say. Yeah, and this is related, Angie, to what, what you just said. Um, so let me describe a contrast. You, you create a financial plan, you give the client the financial plan and say, this is what we recommend. The plan goes in a drawer and nothing happens, right? So that's one side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is you deliver a financial plan and you you work with that client on an ongoing basis to make sure that every element of that of the recommendations within the plan get implemented uh, in a staged way, but also realizing that there are changes that happen in life all the time. And so the plan is not a one and done. It's constantly being modified based on the evolution of your client's lives, right? So that's the other side of the spectrum. There's a lot in between. That said, please describe for us, and Angie, you can start off again with this if you'd like, the key aspects of delivering that financial plan so you make sure then that there's ongoing engagement based on the financial plan and the recommendations get implemented. I think the key aspect to delivering a financial plan, it's really um, delivering their life story. It's delivering a you know, lifetime planning by, you know, like something that they could take home and they could always review it. Um, by doing that, this is more solid in our relationship when we talk about and every time when we come back and visit the clients or have another meeting, meeting after meeting again, it's always something that remind me, like, this is what we talk about. So how's, how is everything going for you? And it brings in more relationships stronger um, by, hey, you really care about me. You really care about what we talk about. You didn't forget about me. So the key aspect is to allows us to follow up through thoroughly to our clients and make them feel like you you are here for them. Yeah, like you have their backs, right? So you said a few things that if we dig into it, I bet are profound, um, but they're all related to letting the client do the talking, especially in that first meeting. And the implications there are discovery, right? So you're doing a lot of yep. discovery. You're understanding your clients. And to me, and you tell me what you think, but to me, one of the most powerful discovery questions is, tell me what it means to you to take care of your loved ones. That's the place where all this should start, right? So planning, the quality of a plan is dependent on the quality of your understanding of their situation. If you do a good job with discovery the plan gets better. So with that said, and relative to what you just said, Angie, about delivering a plan that's aligned with what you discover about the client, um, Rob, let me pass it to you to get your thoughts on some of the key aspects of, of delivering a financial plan, especially in the context of alignment with their evolving life situation. You know, when, when I deliver plans, and, and I'm, I'm gonna take a half step back to to piggyback a little bit on, on Angie's part of the conversation with regards to say number of meetings. You know, one thing I'll do is an initial meeting, uh, I'll get the client that, you know, our questionnaire or more to the point, your questionnaire that we use, it's a fillable PDF, so it's easy. Uh, then I have them send that back to me by email you know, or I can have them sent back in a, in a UPS envelope along with all the statements. Uh, the second meeting I'll do with a client I'm going over uh, data entry with them. You know, so I go ahead and put in as much stuff as I can in advance, and then I'll either get them on a WebEx or if they're if it's you know convenient for them to come over, then we'll do a we'll we'll sit, seriously just go to the data entry. You know, and at that point, yeah, I've already done the data entry, but I've also run cer certain scenarios that you know they don't necessarily need to know about at that point. But at least I, I, I've got some kind of idea on what what is that output starting to look like you know and i'm looking for you know holes in asset allocation you know if they either don't have life insurance or they have insufficient amounts it's like well geez what would happen god forbid if you know one of the breadwinners passes away you know you know how could that blow this thing up i'm looking for all these little holes because and i may not address those or even i actually don't even hit on them in that second meeting but it's yeah, I want to make sure I've got, you know, all, all the order stuff right, because I also know that three out of four times that a client doesn't give you all the statements. You know, you're going through things, and all of a sudden they remember some. 
you know, oh my God, yeah, I forgot to give you this. I forgot to give you that. It's like, okay, you know, so it's good we do this, right? But but doing that through them, whether it's through a WebEx, whether it's in person, whatever it is, it's, you know, it, it helps kind of pull them in to, you know, realizing that, you know, there's, there's an end game, you know, in place with all of this. You, once I have everything through, you know, then I spend a ton of time running through all different kinds of scenarios, what kind of solutions might, you know, I use to, you know, essentially plug a holes in the system because, you know, you're just, again, you're trying to figure out how to make people's finances more efficient as a whole, you know, and that's not always, you know, managing assets for them, but it's, you know, dealing with insurance. How do you, you know, are you maximizing your, your benefits at work? You know, how are you handling, you know, all these other things that, you know, people just don't really necessarily think about, but then we really finally deliver the plan. You know, we always suggest, you know, those are done in person. You know, you're you're running through everything, and and you've got a very concrete game plan for them. So curious, I'm going to pass it to you now, David. Um, based on the relationship orientation, what does your product mix look like? I'm guessing you're mostly advisory, and that's a side question. So again, I I want to get your thoughts on on plan delivery, but I'm also curious about the, the latter, the first, the former question I just asked. So go, go ahead, David. Well, you asked about uh, products. The way I want to answer that is that in the plan, it delivers an asset allocation mix. And in the mix, it comes up with a very well diversified and integrated recommendation. Uh, I just delivered a plan yesterday and it had like all of the asset, um, asset allocation sectors. I think there's about 10 or so. The actual asset allocation solution that we delivered is much narrower than that. And so it does require to have a little bit of dialogue around what the plan produces and what me, the advisor, recommends. Invariably, it's going to be different. Um, the plan uh, suggests like a perfect world solution when it comes to diversification. In reality, the solution is going to be a little bit different. And you also asked the key aspects of delivering a financial plan. I have a couple of points I want to make on that. And the first one is that the risk tolerance questionnaire is really an important part of the plan. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I think some advisors fudge it, but the more you can get it, a client to engage in that portion of the financial plan, the, the better and more accurate the financial plan is going to come, come through at the end. And I say fudge it. I've done it myself where I've answered the questions the way I think the client way to answer them without actually asking the client the question. Uh, guilty. But I've also found that when I engage clients and we go through the questions and answers one by one, they, they read them off or I read them to them, the better the plan output is. I know I just said that twice, but I did that for emphasis. The second piece I want to mention is the Monte Carlo simulation. I think that's the most valuable piece. I think most advisors would agree. Uh, what the Monte Carlo simulation does, if you're not familiar, is it runs 8,000 test trials, best, worst, and middle case scenarios, all with random economic factors inputted into the whole financial situation. And what it does is it comes out with a percentage likelihood that the client is going to meet their goals. I find that maybe clients come out with a 99% likelihood. Those clients are more of the mature clients who have a really well-rounded and you know, successful and financially well-off situation. However, I also find that a lot of clients will come from between a, a zero and maybe a 50 percentile. There's a lot of stuff to work on. So I, th I do think the Monte Carlo simulation is not only my favorite, but the most valuable piece of, of a financial plan. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with that percentage of success that uh, sometimes when you first start working with a client, it comes out to like 72%. They, then they're like, well, wait a second. They want that number to increase. Well, I didn't tell you about this and I didn't tell you about that. And all of a sudden you're learning about the rest of their assets, right? Because <laughs> they, they like that number to be higher. So, Chris, let me uh, let me ask you from a training perspective, right? When you're training your clients on using financial plan uh, planning uh, and delivering the financial plan, what are you know some of the key points that you make a and, and b we touched a little bit on discovery as a phase in financial planning is that also part of your training uh thanks scott yes um the key concept kind of of plan delivery when we when we speak of it during a training class is twofold and that is the using the system to show 
uh, in real time, the adjustments that you make and, and tweaks that you have to make. David touched on, you know, additional information that you, that you didn't have before that you need to input. It's always a work in progress. And using the system really allows you to engage that customer fully in the process and what the system does and how it calculates that success probability. Um, and we have, there's a tool inside Money Guide Pro called the Play Zone, which is truly customer centric um, to let them tweak the numbers, change them, um, and really engage them in that process. So that's the, the one half of the process. The other is the report section and really taking a look at kind of the output that the that the plan provides to the client. And this could be a takeaway piece for the client um, so that they can look at it at their own pace and then jot down any questions they have and kind of engage the, the client in that regard as well. Financial planning in itself can be overwhelming to say the least um, for clients. And so if you could break it down into components, into pieces. Um, so let's say for example, like uh, David mentioned the the allocation, the investment allocation might be the most important piece that you present to the client, and that might be the first appointment that you uh, that you review that information with the client, and then you can come back to them on the next uh, the next meeting and talk about insurance needs and losing the insurance analysis tool or insurance analysis report um, to engage a client in that next step in the process, and by doing it in pieces by small chunks, um, it's not as overwhelming to the client as it might be if you just delivered every aspect of it, you know, right up front. So, you know, on, on the plan delivery, and, and Chris has brought up a lot of good points, which sets off something off in my own head. And, you know, I'm delivering a plan here in the office, you know, what, you know, you're sitting there with a client, you know, we, I plug my laptop into a flat screen we have on the wall. And the clients do find it really, really interesting when you can go back in and say, hey, look, you guys work one more year, and then you can go back and see, all right, here's the effect that it has on an overall basis. Or, geez, let's say if you can cut your expenses back by you know, less than 5%, you know, because what you're really trying to, to do on that delivery is say, hey, you know, here are little things you can do that over a period of time make really large impacts. You know, and, and especially if a client's not coming in at that 8% level or, or whatever the you know, comfort level you're looking for. But if you can give them a combination of really small, palatable, acceptable things to them that they can take action on, then that fills it. You know, and then they come out of their feeling, feeling a heck of a lot better. But but being able to show that and demonstrate and explain it on the fly because you know you're doing all that stuff you know, right in front of them, um, it's impactful. But you know, really good when you can pull it off. Yeah, it's amazing to me, and and you just described this, but especially when you put it on a big screen, you're sitting with clients, and then you start doing the what ifing, right? They have yeah. aha moments when you start doing that, and and a lot of the responses can be like, really, if I just do that, then that that's the impact, right? And then. Now you're you're making an impression, and it is the right impression, right? They know that you're the subject matter expert, and you know what you're what you're doing, and that that only works if you do a good job with the input, which you guys it sounds like you clearly do, right? So that, that that's a that's a cool scenario. Um, if you are going to go down that path, you know the other, I guess you would call it best practice, you know, in that manner is do it yourself on your own, you know, well in advance. You know, it's kind of like, you know, yeah. make sure that when you move that a year, you already know, okay, this, this dial is going to move by X amount. So, you know, you don't want to be flying blind in front of a client ever. Bob has a related question on best practice. You just mentioned that, but Chris and Jen, let me just ask you as you train, because I think what Rob just said is very important, right? The last thing you want to do, especially if you're newer to using a financial planning software like Money Guide, is start playing what if on the fly if you hadn't done that before in the background. Do you do you train on that as well? Is that part of what you tell the people that you're sitting with as as training students of financial planning? 
you know, Scott, from my perspective, two things. Um, I think we show them, we demonstrate it, but it definitely is something that comes with time and practice. So what we find is using the what are you afraid of is the simplest and easiest way to stress test a plan and do it without having to yet get in the what if worksheet. So we typically start with the what are you afraid of, get them comfortable having the conversation and it really identifies what are the stress points that this client has. Then what we do is work with them to show them the what if and really making those small changes, whether it's in the play zone or the what if, but we, we really work to scale it over time, right? We don't throw them all into the what if worksheet, but let's do the what are you afraid of first? Okay, we got that, let's go to play zone. Okay, we got play zone, then let's work and teach them the what if worksheet. So it's over time. And I do wanna make one more comment. David said it, sometimes we make assumptions about a client to start the conversation. So what that means, and I wanted to share this best practice really quick, because if you're inputting, sometimes the client gives you that deer in the headlight look going, I don't know what my goals are. I want to live on $100,000 during retirement, but they don't know how to break it into needs, wants, and wishes. What I would say one of the best practices I've seen is using the auto goals section, which automatically populates goals for somebody in that age range living in that state and says typical clients this age range in the state have these type of goals. Why I love that as a best practice because then you could say, hey, here's what the here's what was populated. Here's some default. Now we're gonna customize it for you. Do you get a car every three years? Do you want to travel? And you can have those assumptions made in the system and have that conversation to then customize it or tailor it for the client. But I think sometimes just giving them a plan of what you know, making some assumptions and saying, hey, let's talk through this. And then to them going, oh no, I wanna do this. I wanna do this, or I have a CD down the road. You get a lot more information when you have that starting point. So that that auto goals is one of my best practices that I use. Cool, well, it's a, it's a good tip, Chris. And uh, yeah, I, I completely agree with Jen, but the, idea of seeing the success probability first before you share it with a client and knowing like Rob's uh, question there, um, knowing and seeing and, and experiencing that information first before you share it with a client so that you know that if I tweak this or change this, then it's going to have an impact on the client's uh, success probability and seeing that and knowing that first ahead of time uh, is a is truly a best practice, and I've I know I've said it more than once in training classes with Bank of the West was you know see it first. You the last thing you want to do is show a client a, a zero or a one or two percent success probability and uh, have them completely shut down. So make sure you're seeing it first, and then you can uh, address it with a client later. So yeah, what's what's a good feeling as an advisor? I would guess is that when you when you have all the, the stuff in the plan that you need to, and then you start playing around with it before a client meeting, and you find something that really makes a difference in the success probability, you get all excited. You're like, oh, I'm sure they don't they don't know this, and they're going to get really excited when I show this, and then you go into the meeting pumped, right? Can't wait to show yeah. them this. This right, and that's exactly that's exactly good stuff. That, that's what makes your job fun. All right, well, Bob, I think this totally queued you up for the next question. <laughs> well, yeah, how could we not ask about best practices right now? Remember, this podcast is going to be listened to by hundreds of people in our industry. So, I have to ask Angie, what best practice do you want to share with our listeners today? Well, I do have a very good best practice I wanted to share ahead of time, but um, thanks for giving me a chance here. I actually help, I was helping one of the client uh, business owner. He has multiple buildings in the area and also um, uh, opened four store of his business. And he came to me one day, he said, hey, I'm making a lot of money. So now what is, what am I gonna do? Because when I die one day, I don't, I'm, how much am, am I going to leave for my kids and my wife? So, so we, I used the Money Guy Pro to enter all his business uh, earning, everything he has into the system. Uh, it took me a long time. It's not like it's not a forty minutes work. It's, it's like every day throughout a couple months, I change it, edit it, and play around with the playstone, which is my favorite part because I want to see the percentage going to high, uh, to be very high. So um, we came up with the idea of like VUL, which is an insurance product to protect his business and 
if he passed away one day, um, the death benefit will be $5 million to cover at least partial of, um, of their assets. So um, he was like, he was very hesitant. He was like, hey, well, I love to travel. What am I going to do? Am I going to pay all the premium, but not having my personal life anymore? So I went back to Money Guy Pro and made some changes of his premium going to low to be lower, which is also bringing down the death benefits is going to be lower. And he was actually happy, even though uh, the play zone percentage, um, the success rate percentage is going lower also, but he was very happy because he were able to maintain the lifestyle also at the same time um, having the policy. So it was a really great idea for him to have this program. And when I turn around my screen to have him play around the play zone and he had fun with me by, you know, just adjusting the, the numbers. And he was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like this is more successful than what I thought it would be. And it, it's almost like gamification. You know, it's, it's getting the client involved in the process and helping them manage the process and work with you. So, uh, Robert, do you have a best practice to share with our listeners? I think there's two that are, that are pretty important to, to, you know, give some thought to. First of which, and money guys, basically, this is the fourth or fifth different, you know, bit of planning software, you know, that I've had the opportunity to use over the years. I think it's the easiest one to use and it's the easiest one to navigate by a pretty good chunk. But that being said, you know, it does take a certain amount of time and effort to really learn how to use it, learn a lot of the ins and outs. And you know, when you're doing your first few plans, it just seems like they take you know a ton of time. But what ends up happening is, you know, your first plan is going to take you, you know, half the day or three quarters of the day. Your next plan takes you three or four hours, the third one, you know, you're down to like 90 minutes. And then, you know, everything from then on, you know, it's a, you know, in 60 minutes, you can come up with something that's very, very credible. You end up deepening your client relationship. You end up doing a lot more revenue because you end up just capturing much bigger chunks of, of that pie. So, you know, spending the time early on to, to really understand it and understand well, what, what can it do if it's if you feel it's deficient somewhere, well, you know, how do you kind of work around there or whatever it is? Because none of these things are perfect, right? But um, I'll take ease of use and effective, you know, any day. And the the last best practice I I would say is, and the other thing that I do is is every plan that I write, I always call the um, the Money Guide 800 number. You know, I call the guys on the help desk, and they can pull up the plan from there and really easily. They can run that through that thing in five minutes and they either say, okay, yeah, you got everything. This thing looks awesome. You know, from time to time, I'll say, hey, have you ever thought about this or that? And it's, you know, because these guys run this thing all day long, every day of the week. So, you know, their, you know, their skill with the tool is going to be way better than mine any day. But, um, but to get a second opinion in a very short period of time is really, really, really valuable. You know, just think about how much your time's worth and you can spend all day fretting over something, whereas you could have solved it in 15 minutes with a phone call. Yeah, and, and I and have to agree. It's, it's having the software and engaging and learning how to use the software, two different things. Money Guy sits on the platform in many, many banks and institutions, and they're taught on how to turn it on. But using it and interacting with clients, that's a whole different ballgame. So, um, David. You have a best practice, and you can't use the Monte Carlo percentage because that's mine. Oh, wait, I brought it up. You first. can't use that. I use that myself, and I and I hey, well, the volunteers. my own financial advisor. All right. Well, I have two best practices. The first one is that the very first initial meeting, or even if it's a follow-up meeting with an existing client, take out the paper and notepad and start taking notes for data gathering for the purpose of the Money Guy Pro immediately. Don't miss a thing when it comes to data gathering. And the second thing is, and is to try and prepare your clients before the meetings to bring in their statements. I know I, know I said that before, and I'm saying it again. That's critical. Bring in the statements. That's what I got. Awesome. Uh, I think Scott has the best practice that he's going to add to this. Well, 
So it's not a best practice, but it's something that Rob said that I'm very curious about because it's the first time I've heard that. And that is that when you have created a plan, you can get on the phone with somebody at Money Guy. They can look at the plan and they can help you tweak it and optimize it. Is that essentially what you said, Rob? Yes, that is exactly what I said. That's powerful. So I, I haven't heard of many advisors doing that, but I mean, and I'm assuming you have to give them permission to go into the plan. They just can't ad hoc look sure. at anybody's plan, correct? Yeah, right. Yeah, so I, I mean, that's a best, right there. That's a golden best practice, I think, because I don't think many advisors realize the power behind doing just that. And like Rob said, you can probably do something in 15 minutes that would otherwise take you an hour because these guys are in it every day, all day. Right. So yeah. I like that one. Phone's going to be ringing a lot over at Money Guide. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think they, they can hire plenty of people. All right. So the next question, and this is we can go around the horn pretty quickly on this, but just give us a feel for how financial planning has impacted your client relationships. What is it? What does it do for you as it relates to the stickiness of your client relationships, the trust that it engenders and that type of stuff. And let's just go Angie, Robert, David, and then Chris, you can give us kind of the holistic view of that question based on people you've worked with. So let's start with Angie. Well, definitely stronger in building trust process. This is most critical for me because um, they see you as a really professional individual in the industry and they do now I actually do Money Guy Pro a lot than anyone else. And that's why everything is kind of like implemented to my head already. So when it comes to the conversation with my clients, um, they see me like, oh, you're really professional. You know what you're talking about. You know what is um, the product's name and how to make the adjustment. What is the next the conversation, next um, questions going to be? So it maintains a long-lasting relationship, and I actually get more referral from the same clients um, in my practice. So I think it's good. All right, Robert. So uh, as far as the client relationships go, yeah, if they're planning clients, they, they are absolutely more engaged than clients, you know, that aren't planning clients. You know, and and again, we're gonna, in, you know, we're always gonna encourage clients to take advantage of that. We also don't bill for plans, so that's another. Yeah, you know, that's another added perk, you know, of, of being part of our group. But when you have planning clients, it's, you know, you get to review plans on an annual basis. I mean, it's another really compelling reason to come into the office and, you know, reconnect, right? Second thing is, is planning clients almost exclusively are multiple product clients. You know, all financial institutions, you know, they want you to cross sell and they, you know, they want to, you know, have as many different, you know, things with a client as they can, you know, and it's not only for revenue generation, but it, you know, the more stuff a client does with you, it's, it's harder for them to leave, you know, but, but clients, we do have plans and we continuously re review things. We continuously deliver on what we tell them we're going to deliver on. There's never a reason to leave. Right. So. But again, you know, non a non-planning client, you, know, you always think in the back of your head, well, is this client going to bolt at some point? You know, if they do, they do. But, um, you know, the planning, pl planning clients are a heck of a lot better than non-planning. Yeah, and, and my, my guess is, and, and maybe, David, this is where you're going, but my guess is that planning, one of the impacts it has is that it, it, uh, it enables you to work with a lot more of your client's assets than you otherwise would be if you weren't planning centric right i mean i think that's a fair statement so david let me, maybe i stole your thunder but let me pass it to you <laughs> okay uh, a couple things in our firm we use the net promoter scores i know many firms do in the industry we do show very clearly that net promoter scores are higher for those clients who survey you who have a financial plan that's a good thing uh invariably and i think we've all said it i think you said it but having a financial plan versus not having one increases sales, sales and revenue, more products, more solutions, more everything. Everything proves that out. I'm going to come back to the Monte Carlo simulation for one second, not to talk about the scores or anything, but uh, just doing the Monte Carlo simulation gives the client confidence and not quantitative, but it gives them a sense of confidence in the process and in working with you, the advisor. And the last thing I want to mention is that doing the plan and uncovering all of the different financial accounts that clients have 
shows many times that they have excess resources, especially excess cash resource cash reserves. Um, we usually say, you know, have a certain amount of cash reserves in your financial plan, whether it's six months or 12 months or whatnot. And typically the financial plan will show excess cash reserves, which can be deployed into an asset allocation strategy. Good stuff. So Chris and Jen, uh, you've worked with a lot of advisors that use financial planning. So give us your thoughts relative to, you know, the stories that you tell about what it does for the client relationship. Thanks, Scott. And and you're exactly right. It's 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 what our business is about is helping clients achieve financial success and doing a holistic financial plan on clients um, gives them that that structure, that idea that I'm not just here to do a transaction. I'm not just here to take uh, and move money around for you, but I'm looking at all aspects of your financial future um, and putting a plan together to help you be successful in that uh, in that adventure. From an advisor standpoint, and, and Rob and David both talked about it, it's all about increasing revenue. Um, Money Guide Pro statistics is that you're having a 56% revenue increase by us, utilizing planning. And that's across the board on all different product types, uh, advisory accounts, and so on. So uh, it really shows that the opportunity to do a plan, to have that holistic kind of uh, engagement with your customers really drive the revenue opportunities for you as an advisor. So. And, and Scott, I would just highlight the numbers. Those are those are my babies as far as looking, thinking about the increase. Because what's in it for me? If I'm an advisor listening to this podcast, what's in it for me? Again, Rob mentioned taking the time in the front end to learn the system, take the time to work with it. Right? It takes time. Right? And we talked about how long you know some plans take longer than others. Others are easier. Right? It's going to take the time. So from an advisor perspective, to me, those numbers Chris just talked about, the advisors who really take it to heart, put the time in, right, to learn the system, how to deliver it, how to really take the time and, and deliver it over segments or pieces, right, multiple, multiple meetings, they're going to see the 56% increase in revenue. And I like to dig even deeper. That, those numbers, it's a 200% increase in insurance and annuity products. And the reason I say that is insurance is a tough conversation to have, but financial planning does make it easier, right? To talk about what happens if something happens to, you know, you, you know, one of the spouses, where does that lead the family, right? What happens if one of them gets sick with long-term care? You know, how does that impact the, the plan? So I think it takes those difficult conversation and makes them easy and then the revenue comes. I mean, when we see this, when you're thinking 200% increase in insurance and annuities, you know, you still have structured products in there, alternative investments. I mean, increase, an increase in all areas, that's key. But the end result is you're helping the client plan for the unknown. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Yeah, it's been. So one of the really gratifying things about this discussion has been the the reference to insurance products and, and Bob and I like to couch it as protection, right? So it's, we don't want to be product centric. We want to be need centric, right? And protecting assets is a need. So the gratifying thing is that uh, when we have these discussions, typically the protection element does not come up and it's come up several times during this discussion. So it, it, it really seems to me that you all believe in that you should not only be helping your clients manage their assets, but also protect their assets. So you're working with both sides of that equation, which is really refreshing to hear. So, so good for you guys. Bob, I know you have a, a kind of a final question specifically for Jen. So uh, why don't you go for it? Uh, yes, I do. And, and Jen, you know, we've been talking for the last hour or so about training. It's all process training. You don't talk product, do you? You're talking all about process. Exactly, all about process. We don't, unless we're asked to, it's really the, just the planning process in general. And this is coming from Midwood Financial to their clients and the cost for doing this? Cost of doing this, as long as they're a client of Midwood, they have access to 
our team from a training standpoint. And I always tell our clients, think of us as an additional back office support team that you have access to. Um, and again, using multiple different areas from training, financial planning happens to be one, uh, but we cover multiple topics as it relates to helping our clients. So it's all process training. And I think that's important to, to note because your process is your product, as Scott uh, reminds me over and over in these podcasts. So um, this was a phenomenal conversation. Really appreciate our panel. Scott, um, anything else? No, I, I just want to thank you all for your participation in the in the panel discussion and um, and for sharing your insights with with our audience. This was this was very valuable. And and thank you again uh, to Midwood for hosting this and, and, and sponsoring it. And I'm guessing our audience will get a lot of value out of uh, listening to what was discussed in, in today's episode. Excellent. So again, thanks to Midwood Financial for sponsoring today's conversation. This podcast series and all of our uh, other series, Untangling FinTech and Industry Trend Watch, can all be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it, Stathis Mattel is on it. So thank you all for listening today and have a great day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our two other podcast series, Untangling FinTech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes.